It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Green means go. And boy, did Hunter Green go in his Major League debut. The Reds have a big problem on the hot corner. Jeff and I have solutions. And we'll tell you why the bullpen stock is on the rise. Except for Jeff's namesake on today's Locked on Reds. Let's go. You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked on Reds with myself, Jeff Carr, and my co-host, Stephen Offenbaker. We are in our fourth season as podcasters about the Cincinnati Reds, and we have turned a just addiction about the Reds into information for you. Thanks for making us your first listen of the day. We're free and available on all platforms, and Locked On Reds is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On today's podcast, the Reds earned a series split in Atlanta, which has lots of highs and lows when you're talking about the guys involved on the field. There's a argument to be made about what the Reds should do at third base, and we're going to make it. And we've got a huge, huge, huge debut, huge debut, Steve, of Hunter Green, because that was as good as advertised. I don't know what you thought when you were watching it, but as I saw what he had, Hunter Green showed me exactly why the hype has been so hot, and he showed me that the hype is not fake. Listen, Jeff, I want to tell you, I can't say on our family-friendly podcast some of the words that I were saying watching <laughs> the the off-speed and breaking pitches that, that Hunter Green was slinging up there. But listen, Jeff, this did not surprise me at all. Uh, I remind you, as a matter of fact, let's go back to our crossover episode with the Locked on Braves previewing this series. Let's, uh, let's roll that beautiful footage, Jeff. You know, I'm going to take the easy way out and I'm going to call the split, but I, I will I will make it a little bit more exciting. I'll tell you that the Reds are going to win the first game and they're going to win the last game of the series. Uh, Tyler Malley is going to come out and pitch a great game. Uh, I do think the element of distraction and getting those rings and, and reliving that win is going to uh, take a little bit of the adrenaline out of actually playing the game. And I think the Reds will capitalize on that on opening night. Uh, and then I think Hunter Green's going to come out in the final game of the series and and talk about adrenaline. He's going to just be blowing that ball by people. I think the hitters are going to have a hard time timing him up. I think he's going to get a lot of weak contact, foul tips, things like that, as people just try to catch up to that fastball that's coming up there. So uh, I think the Reds win the first and the fourth game. I think we get a split out of this deal. Uh, I do tend to agree with your evaluation of the bullpen. I think that the Braves will probably get to both Vladimir Gutierrez and Reverse San Martin a little bit as they start to work things out. And uh, we'll get into the Reds bullpen, which means that Jeff Carr will see his favorite guy, Jeff Hoffman, early and often. So uh, that gives you at least two wins right there. All right. Not only did I predict a series split here with the Atlanta Braves, 
But I even got right the games that the Reds were going to win. And in that clip, as you just heard, I said I believed in Hunter Green, that Hunter Green was going to go out and get the Reds a win, and that's exactly what he did. He was phenomenal, Jeff. It was amazing. He was poised. He was in control. He was unafraid, and he was not intimidated one little bit by that Atlanta Braves lineup. Now, listen, I know fourth and fifth inning, things kind of came off the rails just a little bit. He gave up a couple home runs, gave up three runs in his five innings pitched. But listen, they were trying to get him the fifth inning to get him the win. That's what David Bell was trying to do. The Reds had a lead. The Reds had the ability to hang with him a little bit longer. And it gave Hunter Green the ability to kind of relax and just groove the ball up there. Uh, So am I worried about the home runs? No. We've said all along that Hunter Green's not going to be perfect. We've said all along that Hunter Green's going to have moments where he looks like a rookie. But in the grand scheme of things, he was simply phenomenal. Yeah. And and look, you you can talk about the box score all you want. Here's what I know. His stuff was sick you're talking about the fastball that everybody said was flat i didn't see that thing stay flat one time it was moving all over the place it had rise it had run it had a little bit of droop sometimes i thought and then you're talking about a slider that is a wipeout slider we talk about wipeout sliders when you look at like tony santion and things like that i'm pretty sure that thing starts at your knees and ends up in the dugout like that is a crazy breaker austin riley's still trying to figure that out from the first at bat whenever he swung and the ball was already like in the left-hand batter's box i just it was a phenomenal pitch i just can't imagine what it's like to stand in the batter's box and have that coming (laughs) at you trying to figure out what you're supposed to do with that and and as a matter of fact even the technology couldn't figure out what to do with it. Uh, if you heard on the broadcast and saw um, some of the tweets from C. Trent Rosecrans, the automatic detection system was confused. It had no idea what Hunter Green was throwing because his changeup looked like a four-seam fastball. Uh, everybody, it was old-fashioned. Everybody was having to look at the pitch and figure out what it was. The, the automatic uh, software could not tell what Hunter Green was dealing. And I think that a lot of the concern, if we want to call it that, with Hunter Green just came from general concern of fireballers who throw over 100 miles an hour. Because the experience with that is if a fireballer throws over 100 miles an hour, that's all he does. He doesn't have anything else. He doesn't have that next gear. But that is why Hunter Green has the hype that he does. He is every bit as good as advertised because he can throw 100 miles an hour. He can locate it at will. It moves. And he can mix in some breaking stuff and some off-speed stuff that he also has control over. They were talking about how much work he put in on that changeup during the offseason. You saw it. He was able to put it exactly where he wanted, and he still had a very, I noticed this too, a very deceptive arm slot, like where he released his fastball from was where he released his changeup from. It was not a scenario of, okay, there's a little bit of difference, and if you're a hitter, you could probably pick up on that. He has got a very repeatable motion, very good delivery, and very deceptive when you're talking about mixing up the speeds. I don't know how a hitter can stand in there knowing they've got to prepare for 100 miles an hour. Oh, but it might come in 10 miles an hour slower, and it's not going to look any different. Well, not even 10, Jeff. I mean, some of those changeups were coming in at 86, and then he would come right behind it with a 101-mile-an-hour fastball. I mean, uh, you know, they t- talking about his delivery, uh, they made mention of this on the television broadcast. Both uh, John Sadak and Chris Welsh were talking about this, that Hunter Green, you know, talked about how he completely, of his own volition, rebuilt his his motion and his mechanics while he was coming back from Tommy John's. And I got to tell you, what he's doing right now, is, is it's working. It 
is fantastic. And that, that change up, it is nasty. It is absolutely nasty. I don't know. I don't know how a professional hitter can, can figure out what to do with what Hunter Green's doing right now. And, you know, you can talk about a rookie that has really good stuff and really good mechanics and be excited. He's got another level, though, that absolutely just brings it all together and gives you a package that you can talk about being a Cy Young pitcher for multiple years. And that's the fact that he knows how to keep his composure. He knows how to keep level, no matter if he just struck out the side in the last inning or if he just gave up three home runs. One of the big things, and and you always talk about this when you're talking about a pitcher, is how do they bounce back from adversity? Because nobody's going to throw a perfect game every time they go out. They're going to give up a long ball. They're going to give up a couple of hits in a row. How does he follow that up? In the fourth inning, when he gave up multiple hits in a row, he did give up one run, but he limited the damage to that. And when he gave up home runs, they were solo shots. Solo shots are excusable, especially when you were up by as much as the Reds were up at that point. So he was pitching a little bit more loosely. But all in all, John Sadak and Chris Welsh were talking about this. You watch him after he throws a pitch. He has breathing exercises that he does. He has the ability to calm down his own heart rate and just be cognizant of everything that's going on. He's not worried about his mechanics mid-game because he knows that those are good. He's not worried about his stuff mid-game and where it's going to go mid-game because he knows that those are good. He's worried about making sure that everything is even keel. And if you're talking about that with a pitcher, you're talking about a dude usually who's been around for a while and understands that. No, we're talking about a dude who just made his first career start. You know, I, I am so stoked for him. Absolutely. I think the big takeaway from what we saw out of Hunter Green yesterday is the maturity, it's there. It's as advertised. His ability to maintain his composure, it is there. It is as advertised. And the simple fact of the matter is that this dude is every bit as good as he has been advertised. Uh, Hunter Green is good. Uh, you know what, Jeff? Kyle Farmer has had a heck of a weekend. And he showed us that even when Jose Barrero returns, he should be an everyday player, but not at the position you're thinking. Before we get into that, though, I want to talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar is a healthy snack that is going to get you through the 2022 Major League Baseball season. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It might even be a little bit better than a candy bar because it is healthy for you. Built Bar makes it easy to stick to your diet. It makes it easy to stick to your health goals because it tastes good and you're going to want to eat it. It's unlike any other protein bar that you can buy. It is not chalky. It is not waxy. It does not taste like you're taking a big drink from a barrel from a chemical spill. Uh, It's going to make you want to be healthy and want to eat healthy. It's going to keep you engaged in your diet and engaged in your health. It's going to keep you from wanting to just give up and say, where's my candy? Give me a Snickers. It prevents all of that. Built Bar is covered in 100% real chocolate and it has amazing health statistics. And listen, we're a baseball podcast. I love the statistics. Jeff loves the statistics. You love the statistics. Built Bar Statistics, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs for you keto folks, and jam-packed with 17 grams of 
protein. Uh, they have amazing flavors like cherry barcia, coconut brownie chunk, salted caramel, and many, many products. You've heard Jeff go on and on about the puffs and having just been at the home office in Cincinnati, I want to tell you there are puffs everywhere. If you want to have puffs everywhere, head over to built.com right now and use the promo code locked 15. That's going to get you 15% off of your next order from built bar. That's the promo code locked 15 to save 15% on your next order at built.com. After you finish listening to us today, head over and check out the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast. Uh, Lindsey Crosby will keep you informed on all of the action in the minor leagues and as uh, a little bit of college baseball as well. The Locked On MLB Prospects podcast. It is free and available on all platforms, just like us here at Locked On Reds. Thanks again for making Locked on Reds your first listen of the day. Uh, we are on all platforms free to you. Make sure you are following the podcast uh, on your favorite audio channel and on YouTube. Uh, tomorrow, we are going to tell you why the Reds will be at or above 500 after a pair of games with the Cleveland Guardians. Jeff, before we talk about the Guardians on our next episode, we have a lot more territory to cover here in this series that just wrapped up down in Atlanta. And I think one of the things that became painfully apparent is the Cincinnati Reds have a giant problem on the hot corner. Yeah. Uh, moose don't look very good out there. And I know that's some deep analysis, but holy cow. I mean, you're talking about slow moving. Revar San Martin had a really rough start there on Friday. And part of it was because he was walking guys. But another part of it was he had a, a nice ground ball that had Moose gotten to and thrown a dude out. I firmly believe that changes the whole complexion of that inning. And it kind of changes how Revar San Martin pitches the, ra- the rest of the game. But because Moose reached for it, couldn't get to it, couldn't even pick it up to throw, and it careens off his glove into foul territory. You got guys running around the bases. I, I just look at that and I say, that's rough. Then you see him on the base pads, almost gets thrown out on a line drive to right field, and he was still halfway between first base. Like, I watch that replay again. I'm like, where was he? Was he, like, trying to go back to first because he thought the right fielder was going to catch it? No, he was halfway between first and second, and he still almost gets thrown out at second base for a force out. And, and on top of it, he just has this insane, I don't know if it's a hole in his swing or if it's a quirk in his swing, but dude pops a ball up more than Willie Mays Hayes. And <laughs> Willie Mays Hayes has done a lot more push-ups in his life than uh, Mike Mustakis. Clearly. Listen, Jeff, a couple of the things you're talking about there. First off, the the base running error. Uh, clearly, uh, Mustakis lost track of how many outs there were. That's that's really yeah. what happened there. He, his head wasn't in the game, and it, and it cost the Reds a little bit. And... Uh, you know, that's just where things are with that. As far as defense goes, uh, it, it's sad to say, but Mike Moustakis has lost a step defensively. He is a liability in the field. He cannot, he cannot range. He just simply cannot do it. Now he's getting paid. He has a couple years left on his deal. Uh, the Reds are not going to cut him with as much money as they still have wrapped up in him. And the real answer, the only thing that the Reds can do with him is, is this, he needs to DH against right-handed pitching and he should never set foot on the field again, unless it's an emergency to play defense. I agree. And it's weird to say because I know we kind of poo-pooed this idea in spring training, but I think Colin Moran is a better option at third base. Like, 
I can't even believe I said those words, Steve. But honestly, that's where we are. And I'm hoping that we get some other guys back healthy when you're talking about like Donovan Solano and guys like that. We could put at third base. But just looking at the defense, there's a huge hold on that left side whenever Moose is in there because he just cannot range. He, He has no range whatsoever. We always talked about Jesse Winker in left field like, oh, man, if he had a little bit more range, he'd be a perfect fielder. Moose doesn't have a number there, I think. Like, I mean, if you're talking about a rating, like a range rating or something like that, it's it's got to be like, mm, if at all. I, I, I don't... I don't want to see him at third base. No, and, and you're absolutely right. Colin Moran is not a third baseman either. But here's the yep. thing. You need somebody that can play the field against the right-handed pitchers. Uh, we have some solutions that we're going to talk about here in just a second to deal with when there's left-handed pitchers on the mound. But if there's a right-handed pitcher on the mound for right now, it's going to have to be Colin Moran. Uh he's not a third baseman, but if you do it comparatively, if the choice is defensively Colin Moran or Mike Moustakis, give me Colin Moran. Uh, you know, it's not a significant upgrade, but it is an upgrade defensively. I think you, you go from below average to average or significantly below average to you, you go from what are you doing to, (laughs) well, at least the guy is trying. Let's, let's call it what it really is. But, but yeah, no, it's an upgrade. Now, when you get to the other side, when you've got a lefty on the mound, you, you have a little bit more flexibility. You can set down Colin Moran. You can set, you can get Mike Moustakis out of there. And so you can do some other things. Now we've talked about Kyle Farmer and we've talked about how good he has looked. And we tease this a little bit, Jeff, that uh, even when Jose Barrero comes back, even when Donovan Solano is back, Kyle Farmer needs to be an everyday player. But I want to go on record right now and say that when that happens, I want Kyle Farmer to be the starting third baseman against left-handed pitching. And I want Jose Barrero to be the shortstop because because he's a better shortstop. He's a better defensive shortstop. Uh, That is the lineup that I would like to see on that side of the infield. Honestly, uh, and and look, one series does not a season make. I totally understand this. But there's an argument to be made, depending on how good Barrero gets at the plate, that you can almost make that the everyday left side of the infield. Mm -hmm. Make Barrero the shortstop, make Farmer the third baseman, because Farmer was actually hitting pretty well against Ian Anderson there on Sunday. He got five hits during the weekend. He was going the other way. He was putting the ball where where the fielders weren't, and he got a bunch of RBIs for it. Got four RBIs on the weekend. Like, I loved the performance that we got from Kyle Farmer at the plate and seeing as good a shape as he is in and the fact that he looks as though he has gone absolutely crazy with the idea that he's going to be an everyday player. And we have talked about to no end that we want him to be a super utility. We want him to be that guy off the bench. I think we might be wrong in that. I I think that when, at least when it comes to when Jose Barrero is back, I want Kyle Farmer at third base because there is no other third baseman on this roster and he's got to be the best. If you're talking about you don't have to put him at shortstop. You know, I don't think we were wrong about the super utility thing Uh, in a better situation. Kyle Farmer's best value, his, his highest value to the team, I think is playing all over the place and, and still getting what amounts to uh, everyday regular at bat. But in this situation, uh, I don't think we could have anticipated just how bad the defense was going to be at third base. Uh, And, and now that we know how bad the defense is at third base, you have to make adjustments. And I really do hope that David Bell makes this particular adjustment and moves Kyle Farmer over there. Because we're talking about a fix for Mike Moustakis that's not going to happen quick enough 
that it's going to benefit the Reds in season. This is a kind of fix that he needs an off season to work on the stuff that he needs to fix. So I, I look at this and I say, the Reds have to pivot. They cannot just consistently roll him out there at third base and expect him to get better. It's just not going to happen. I, I want to see that change. And with Kyle Farmer, I mean, with Jose Barrero coming back from the IL, which that's still weeks away. So there's obviously that time in between where Colin Moran and hopefully Donovan Solano comes back soon that he can start filling in there as well that we don't see Moose on the field at all. And we see Kyle Farmer at third base whenever Jose's Barrera is healthy. I tell you what, Steve, uh, talking about the dudes, and Kyle Farmer's stock is certainly just skyrocketing after this first weekend. The bullpen also has their stock on the rise. They, they pitch like we hoped. Well, sec for Jeff Hoffman. Your guy. <sighs> yeah. We look at stocks <laughs> rising and falling from the weekend right after we look at the best place to get your sports betting info, BetOnline. BetOnline.net has all of the props, odds, lines, and info that you could want for sports going on right now. Talking about baseball season is firmly underway. You can check out every single game line and whether you want to take a look at the run line, you can. I, I'm more of a money line guy when it comes to betting daily baseball. Plus, over, under, and run totals and prop bets. Like, you know, how many strikeouts is Nick Lodolo going to get in his first appearance on Wednesday? We're going to talk about that a lot more on an episode to come. But they've also got great stuff when you're talking about the NBA play-in tournament and playoffs that are coming up. NHL as they're heading into playoff season. Playoff hockey. Mm-hmm. And you've got boxing, UFC, and your favorite Vegas casino games. Plus, check out the live betting as well. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of that good stuff. Plus, they've got great in-season deals where you're talking about sort of uh, boosters and things like that. You've got to check them out on a daily basis for those. Lots of good stuff that you don't want to miss. That's BetOnline.net, where the game starts. Make sure... <clears throat> that you're following us on Twitter at S Offenbaker for Steve at Jeff Carr with three F's for me. And you can follow the show at locked on reds. You can also follow us um, on Instagram, locked on reds, Instagram. And of course, right here on YouTube. Thanks for watching us and make sure that you're following everything that we've got going for you. And Steve, I want to look at the rest of the weekend, but there, there was a lot that kind of went on. So we'll speed it up a little bit. We'll do our three up, three down, and we'll start with three up. And obviously the first biggest thing, the, the most important thing that we got to talk about in this three up, three down segment is the bullpen. The bullpen looked good. Well, we'll talk about Jeff Hoffman in a minute. But we're talking about the Major League debuts of Daniel Duarte and Alexis Diaz looking awesome. Tony Santion looking awesome. Plus, the way that David Bell kind of used Tony Santion, he didn't just slot him in in the ninth. In the On Sunday, there was a critical situation in the seventh that he brings him in for the final out. He pitches against the middle of the order in the eighth, and then you bring in Art Warren for the ninth, which, by the way, first career save for Art Warren. That looks fantastic. So refreshing. 
refreshing. So refreshing to see a Reds manager using pitching that way and having <laughs> pitchers that don't have a temper tantrum when you don't use them in the ninth inning. I mean, the, it's a perfect storm. We got a manager willing yeah. to do it and pitchers willing to do it. It was fantastic. I, this is how the bullpen has to be managed for this Reds team to be successful. You get the best pitchers with the best matchups at critical times in the game. And that's not the ninth inning. That's the sixth. That's the seventh. That's the eighth, as you just alluded to. And it worked out great for the Reds. Tony Santion is a scary, scary dude. I love it. I have all the faith in the world in him. When I see him coming out of the bullpen, I think he's coming in and nailing it down, no matter what inning it is. I just, I love it. I love what he is bringing. I love seeing Art Warren get that first save. It's amazing to me that of all the pitchers last season that got a save for the Cincinnati Reds, Art Warren was not one of them. Uh, It was great to see him out there. It is so refreshing to see these young arms that have been coming up through the Reds farm system come out and have success, not against the Pittsburgh Pirates, not against the Baltimore Orioles of Major League Baseball. This is the defending world champion Atlanta Braves, and they went out there unafraid and they took care of business, and I am there for it. Look, the in-house developed bullpen already, and I know we've got a lot more baseball to play, but it already looks better than last year's yard sale bullpen, and I'm totally here for that. Another one that's on the rise is Nick Senzel, specifically with his defense. Good Lord, he's got center field locked down. Talking about diving all over the place, ranging. We talked about a lack of range with Moose. Senzel must have like sucked up the range. He's got all the range on the team. Like he is covering every I am I'm so happy to see that. I think his bat's going to come along, but I, I, I think that overall, Nick Senzel manning center field defensively, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Oh, I am too, and it's been some great, uh, there's been some great content on the broadcast about how the new Pitchcom system is helping Nick Senzel be able to position himself and make breaks on the ball, and I think we saw that a few times during this Atlanta series. Now, I'm also going to be honest, I'm, I'm going to tell the truth that every time he lays out for one or gets near the outfield wall, <laughs> I'm having a, a little bit of a heart attack. I'm having a little stroke every time because I I just, I want for Sinzel so badly to have a healthy 150 game season. I just, I want that for him, but he, he has delivered. He has showed, he has showed speed. He has showed great defensive reads. Uh, His throws from the outfield have seemed a little odd. I've seen people commenting on his throwing motion and how he's making his throws. And I wonder if, I wonder if that's just some residual stuff from shoulders injuries past. But uh, for me, overall, he has performed uh, above expectation for what I expected him to bring early on the season. And I think you're right. His hitting is going to come along. I think we'll get to a point where uh, he's a definite threat in this lineup. Uh, he did show some flashes of speed on the base pass, legging out uh, infield hit. So uh, I think that over time, as he gets more and more heated up, uh, he's going to be another threat for the Reds. He is 100% healthy. There's no doubt about that at least as of monday april what is it the 11th something like that yeah third up and then this is not in order of importance obviously but third up is tyler stevenson Catcher tyler stevenson whole package we're talking about hitting we're talking about behind the plate defense everything He's just looking really good to start the year. He got his first home run on Sunday. He's only the second Red to hit a home run. What happened to the days of the Reds can only score when they homer, Steve? I, 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 we'll have to talk about that on another day. Mm-hmm. But 
Tyler Stevenson as a whole looking really solid there in the lineup. I know he's batting fifth right now. I wonder if there might be some discussion as to how that might change. One series, probably not enough to make a decision that way, but I think it's worth looking into as we move move through the Guardians pair of games and as we head out to L.A., but Overall, absolutely what I want to see from Tyler Stevenson. And, and, you know, not just offensively, Jeff, his defense and the way that he has handled mm. this young, young, young pitching staff, uh, I think is, is, is very admirable. And I think we should talk about it for just a second. Uh, uh, you know, River San Martin got roughed up a little bit. He did not have a great outing. And, uh, I recall after a home run, uh, before, before the camera could even really cut back to what was going on in the mound, Tyler Stevenson was already out at the mound in San Martin's ear, you know, calming him down, giving him correction. And you could see the, the pitcher mouthing, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, that's what I'm here for, for this pitching staff that is got a rotation that is made up of so many young arms and a bullpen that is made up of so many young arms. You need somebody that can keep those guys focused, that can keep them collected and can keep them confident. And I think Tyler Stevenson is the right man at the right time for that job. He certainly had a really good mentor to learn all of that from behind Tucker Barnhart. And also, too, I don't know if, you, if you've if you noticed this, but there have been multiple times over these first few games that I'm like expecting to see what sign he's dropping down and then remembering, oh, yeah, he's doing the wrist thing. And I'm like, Where, where's the – oh, never mind. They're not looking for the number one anymore because he's tapping a thing into the pitch comm system, mm-hmm. which I kind of like. We'll have to have to get somebody on that can tell us more about all that. All right. We're done three up. Let's do three down. And we're starting, obviously, first of all, with Jeff Hoffman. I mean, come on. We've been talking about this guy all offseason. We've been talking about how, oh, what are we going to do with this dude in the bullpen? And he comes out in his first appearance. He just confirms all of our fears. He pitches terribly. It's a beach ball if it's in the strike zone. And it normally ain't even in the strike zone. Like, what on earth are we looking for from Jeff Hoffman out of the bullpen at this point, except for the upside of he might get someone out? Okay, I'm going to give you the Aaron Rodgers here. Relax. (laughs) R-E-L-A-X. Listen, Jeff, here's the deal. It was one appearance, and Jeff Hoffman was not bad out of the bullpen last season. Now, we're not talking starting pitching. I don't want him anywhere near starting a game. But I think he has a useful long relief role on this team. Uh, One inning or one outing doesn't derail that. Now, if he consistently pitches that bad, we're going to have to revisit this conversation. But I know that I know you're upset with him because he wears your name better. But the fact of the matter is that he can be a serviceable reliever for this team uh, in that long swing role. Dang it, Jeff. Um, Yeah. (laughs) We're moving on. Uh, <laughs> another guy down, and and this is a little bit, a little bit of a bummer because I really want to see this dude succeed in a Reds uniform, and I, I think it's interesting that Tommy Pham has been slotted into the three spot in the lineup. I, I kind of thought maybe he'd be a little bit lower to start the season, but that's where David Bell has him. And so far, he's not been doing a whole lot. So far, it's kind of been a lot of just nothing. He's only got one hit. But he's getting on base. He's on, but he's been on base in every game. So, you know, while fam is bamless, he's getting on base. (laughs) That's true. And I'd be interested to see if if there's a reshuffling. I don't know necessarily if it's a one for one deal. Like if he just if David Bell wants to keep a righty there in the three spot, maybe just switch him and Tyler Stevenson. Yeah, I'd move him down. I I agree with that. 
Yeah, I almost like Stevenson more in like the four spot, but mm-hmm. then that would require a whole Sudoku of lineup shuffling that, you know what, that's why David Bell gets paid to do it and we don't. Um, that might be an interesting conversation, though, about optimal lineups. We'll have to get to that another day because we got to get to our third down. And this is a little bit of a bummer because I wanted to see a better performance from him. And I know I just said that it's a bummer for Tommy Pham. It's kind of a bummer for all three of these guys because I wanted to be wrong about Jeff Hoffman. I did. But also when we're looking at Rivar Martin. The two starts that the Reds had, the two starting pitchers who didn't get their wins this past weekend, I think are very different. I look at Gutierrez, and I don't think that that was a bad start at all. I think that if it were in the middle of the season, we probably would have seen him go an inning or two more. It's just that it happened to be at the beginning of the season. So when you look at the box score, you're like, he only pitched how long? He didn't pitch that long. That's a bad start. It's not that way at all. With three of our San Martins, a little bit different. Five walks is... Really five too many, but honestly, like one or two walks, I think you can get around. But five walks is insane. And then whenever he imploded, it didn't stop. He didn't kind of have that ability to stop the bleeding right then and there. And that's why he was only in there. He couldn't even get out of the third inning. I look at him and I think that, yeah, sure, one start. Again, this is only his third career start. So saying we know anything about Rivar San Martin, I would like to see maybe one or two more starts from him. But if he continues to pitch like that, the bullpen is his place to be. And especially for the fact that they only have one lefty in the bullpen anyway. You know, talking about San Martin, uh, and, and I think you're absolutely right about Gutierrez, by the way. Uh, he pitched and he had the Reds in that game the entire time. Uh, that game was never out of reach. In fact, that game was a failure of the offense uh, to go yeah. out there and score some runs because, you know, I, I, I said that if they were to steal this series, that would be the game. The game that Gutierrez was pitching, that was the most winnable of the other two games. Uh, for San Martin, uh, you're, you know, as our good friend Cam always says and, and posts the old riverfront scoreboard uh, animation, walks will haunt. And that's exactly what happened for Reaver San Martin. And, you know, this is the first time we've seen him make a major league start against anybody other than the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I, I came away from it unimpressed. Uh, somebody's going to have to go here fairly quickly. Mike Miner is going to make a minor league rehab start next week in Chattanooga. So he is not very far away. You know, I figure one to two rehab starts for him and he'll be in this big league rotation. So uh, right now, uh, Reaver San Martin is going to be on the outside looking in if a move has to be made today, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, his audition might only be for one more game and he's, he's going to make the most of it because it's going to be in L.A. And uh, five walks in L.A., the Reds might lose by 15. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I think uh, the big takeaway from uh, this segment, Jeff, is that the in-house developed bullpen looks better already than last year's yard sale bullpen. And I can't yes. wait to see more of what they have to offer. Uh, I think that's probably a great spot for us to stop uh, for today. Uh, that'll wrap up this edition of Locked on Reds. Coming up on tomorrow's podcast, we are going to get you ready for opening day, uh, the real opening day at home at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. Jeff and I are going to preview the series with the Guardians and we will look back on some of our favorite opening day memories. Thank you so much for making Locked on Reds your first listen of the day. Now make Locked on MLB your second listen. Paul Francis Sullivan, uh, please call him Sully, brings you his unique perspective on the major leagues, both past and present. Locked on MLB, just like Locked on Reds, is free and available on all podcasting platforms. Jeffrey, the long cold winter is over. Baseball 
is returning to the Queen City. And Jeff, what can you count on from us here at Locked on Reds? You can count on us to be Locked on Reds every single day. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.